The following is Alberto Saranzo and David Cooksey's talk, Testing Taxonomies Beyond Card Sorting, from the 2015 Information Architecture Summit. So thank you so much for coming this afternoon. We are both really, really excited to be up here talking about taxonomy. It's nice to see NERD back at the IA Summit. So we're going to spend a little bit of time together geeking out on taxonomies. All right. So what we want to do today is we want to start out by talking about taxonomy and information architecture. They're not the same thing, even though I think most of the time we and other people talk about them as if they're the same thing. So we want to make a couple of distinctions. We'll talk about card sorting. We can't go beyond card sorting without touching on it a little bit. And then we're going to look at testing methods that we really like. We have a couple of case studies if we have time, and then we'll have a discussion. All right, the one thing that we will not talk about is what a taxonomy is. We assume that, especially this year where it's NerdFest, everybody <laughs> knows what a taxonomy is. If you don't, it's totally fair to ask us afterward. Before the talk, the only thing you need to know about it is that it's not taxidermy. <laughs> having said that, <laughs> having said that, my name is Alberta Soran. So like the slide says, I've been doing IA since about when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth, I worked with madmen, which also means that I did work in agency. And in agency, you don't do, at least when I did it, you don't do a ton of IA work, but then I moved to academia, and I was working on really large builds for UCLA and the Center for Disease Control. And then I had a midlife crisis and moved back to Europe and back to agency, and now I'm here. All right. And I'm Dave Cooksey. I've been practicing taxonomy and information architecture for about 10 years now. I'm based in Philadelphia. And I grew up in e-commerce, which is a pretty awesome place to learn taxonomy because I learned to design and do information architecture working with really large product catalogs. Not to mention they have a fetish for numbers, so it's, it's ideal for this kind of work. Some of the project work that we've done, some of the brands that we've worked on, they span industries and domains. Yes, they did span industries and domains. However, the thing that most of these projects have in common is that they had a really strong IA base. We did a lot of taxonomic work. And about half of the projects had somewhat enlightened clients, on the other hand. So they allow us to do user testing the way it's supposed to be properly done. OK. So our goal for this afternoon really is to demonstrate some useful testing methods for taxonomy. But in order to do that, we want to clarify two points. One, that taxonomy is not information architecture, and the role of evaluation and testing when it comes to taxonomy. Right. So to start off with that taxonomy is not information architecture, we are making the assumption that you know someone about taxonomy, you work in some kind of capacity that touches the process of designing and structuring information, so you know about information architecture as a practice. The reason taxonomy, we want to stress this, is that it seems like day to day we kind of throw these terms around. If you have an information science background, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about or the way I talk about taxonomy probably will rub you the wrong way. My apologies, but I've been embedded in agencies and doing consultant work, working with marketing firms and technology groups, and we just think a taxonomy is a little bit different. Don't get me started on how Drupal people talk about taxonomy. <laughs> but see, this, it gets more complicated because I think taxonomy is just basically meaning some kind of structure, right? You know, you could say the same thing about information architecture. But the point we want to make here is taxonomy as a practice is focused on things that are related to the organizing principles of both physical and digital things 
and also a lot of governance, right, about how does this actually happen. Information architecture tends to focus on UI and interaction. It tends to focus on the use of information spaces. But where they intersect and where we want to talk about where they are alike is that both practices understand the fundamental requirement that an informational space support user needs. And we're going to talk about how to measure that support. The other point that we wanted to make before we get started, taxonomy is an expert activity. A lot of work goes into crafting a taxonomy. How many of you in here actually are responsible or have been responsible for creating what your organization or your client calls a taxonomy? Right? Okay, you probably spent a lot of time in spreadsheets. You looked at a lot of search logs. You looked at what Google says people look for. You did research for everything from a dictionary on your desk to Wikipedia to understand what are these various forms, trying to determine which terms are preferred, synonyms, anonyms, the whole thing, right? Just trying to wrap your head around whatever it is that you're organizing. Uh, also, there's a lot of techniques that you'd use to validate. We call validation. You use an expert. You're validating to make sure this taxonomy is sound and then it can support an experience. That is not testing because the validation practice is an expert practice embedded in business and you've been trained and the people you're working with are trained and they're deeply soaking in whatever it is you're trying to do. The user that comes to the information space that you're designing probably has none of that on their side. So testing helps you know that the work that you've done for the taxonomy, which is going to drive an experience, is actually going to make the user happy. One thing I like to talk about when I start a project is I reference Mr. Spock, so Leonard Nimoy, rest in peace. I would reference Mr. Spock, and I've had a couple of clients laugh, and like, ah, oh, I got it. But taxonomy is about logic. And I don't mean thinking logically. I mean a logical abstract structure that is divorced from any UI or any kind of content management system. And we spend a lot of time getting that structured down in order to tag content in a content management system and to drive an experience. So taxonomy is concerned with concepts, which we described with terms, which we set up in relationships. It's extremely abstract. So a lot of time, we talk about it in terms of navigation and search and content production, dynamically creating pages when Google searches, because it allows people to understand what we're talking about. But it technically is not taxonomy. We need to be mindful of that, because when we start designing studies to see how well we did, this can get very messy, and so a test can be less than optimal, just from the participant's experience, but also the results that you want to get back. Okay, so I mentioned, you know, terms and taxonomy, we set up relationships, whether they're hierarchical or not. We build controlled vocabularies, we set up hierarchies, we establish value attribute pairs to tag content. But on the IA side, we build interactions and UIs on top of this to drive search, navigation, and to dynamically present content to users. And one last thing before I turn it over to Alberta to talk about testing methods. There is no magical method. If you're like me, you're going to get an impatient client who wants to know exactly what needs to be done and how to do it. Try to avoid talking about methods until you understand what question you want to answer. Then you'll be able to go to your methodological toolbox. We're going to talk about in-person methods, remote methods, small sample, large sample. Then you'll be able to execute a study that you know is going to be worthwhile because you're focused on that question you're trying to answer. If you, some of this stuff is awesome, but if you don't really know exactly what you're trying to learn, you can build a study too big. Yes. You can build a study that's not going to answer exactly the question that really is going to bring back a value to you. Or to focus on the wrong things. You know, there are all sorts of questions. There are all sorts of answers. But no answer is necessarily fit. Right, right. And all these methods fall underneath 
user research methods. So if you are interested in, one of the things that, that we're going to point out is knowing your users. How many groups do you have? How different are they? Who do you need to recruit? Recruiting participants is just as important to this kind of research as it is to usability studies or ethnography or any of the other kind of user research methods that you're probably familiar with. So you can apply those learnings from your experience to these methods as well. And using multiple methods, that's our tip at this point. A tip is use multiples. If you do a small sample card sort, you get a lot of rich description. Well, then launch an online survey using a tool and gather hundreds of responses and look for patterns. Those two balance each other out. And there are multiple ways that you can do that. And we will get into this. We will get into these different methods and when to use one and why and what works with clients. But there is this conception when we go into testing. You know, I've worked in multiple agencies and a lot of them, unfortunately, don't believe in testing because we know best, but also because testing is really costly and it's perceived as being extremely difficult. I'd like to dispel that myth. Testing is an expert activity, as Dave was saying, but we all can start from somewhere. We don't need to go big. And there are uh, different layers of testing, different levels. So as Dave was saying, there is a fundamental difference between evaluation and testing proper. Outside of the semantics, you know, the two terms mean different things. When we think about taxonomy, evaluation are all those activities that we do pre and during the creation of a taxonomy to ensure that we get the right terms into our vocabularies, into our taxonomy proper, that then will populate all the metadata. Testing is actually making sure that our guesses and our validations do work in context, do work for real users. So um, if you've never read it, there is this exceptionally good book called The Accidental Taxonomist that makes very uh, strongly this very point. The two activities are related and they need to happen. Uh, validation is especially important when a taxonomy is prepared by subject matter experts. So you may have people that are specialists in that field but have no idea on how to structure that information. So that kind of validation done by a proper taxonomist is extremely important. You may not have to do it every time. Testing, however, has to be done every single time. The downside to not doing testing or in doing it too late in the game is that you're gonna incur into costly mistakes. And timing is extremely important. I would argue that the validation can predate the actual taxonomy creation. Testing needs to happen as often and as early as possible. So the initial testing is especially important because it allows you to validate your navigational structure before other things get in the way. So you can see how people organize, find, retrieve information without the distraction of the buttons, of the conversion, of the process, of the workflow. You do it a little bit in abstract and then you revalidate throughout the process, but it gives you a really clear picture of what people understand. So what are the things that we look at? In terms of evaluation, uh, as Dave was saying, we look at the data we have. Data is really important, so we look at search logs to understand what words people use to retrieve content. We look at analytics to understand where the bottlenecks may be. We look at even at AdWords suggestions to come up with terms to include 
in our synonyms and control vocabularies. We do a bit of keyword research. One thing that I love to do is the vernacular research with the users. Terms that we use in the industry, that we use as experts, or that our stakeholders insist on using, are not necessarily what real users in the real life will use. So having the vernacular down is extremely important. And then, of course, you want to, if you have existing taxonomies, you want to research those as well. You know, those are the basis of your final taxonomy. So we said we wanted to go beyond card sorting, but it bears touching briefly on how card sorting is done and why it is done. So card sorting is a method. This is an actual card sort that we did at IA Summit last year, actually. And card sorting is a method that is used to help design or evaluate the information architecture of a site. Card sorting, I can never stress this enough, will not give you a complete IA. It just gives you an insight in what the mental model of our users are, what logical flows they follow, and it gives us a basis to create a structure. So traditional card sorting is done very simply. You know, you plan, you think about it, you should plan anything, but it bears stressing. You prepare the cards, and I'm gonna illustrate right now manual card sorting, but I'll talk about online card sorting as well. You have the participant do the sorting themselves, and then you do the analysis. Now, doing analysis manually requires particular skills. We're not gonna touch on that, but Joe Lamanti and Donna Spencer have developed this matrix. It's a downloadable Excel spreadsheet that is in our resource at the end of the deck, and it works really, really well. A traditional card sort, um, however, can be of different types, and we choose the one we need depending on what we want to discover, what we're testing. So a traditional card sort would look a little bit like this. You have a set of cards, you have no predefined groups, you ask the participants to sort cards into groups that make sense for them and to label this group. And the result would look a little bit like this. So they moved things to the right, they grouped them, they give you a name. This type of card sort we call generative because it generates labels and groupings that then we will use to create our taxonomy. A closed card sort is exactly the reverse. So it's a little bit like reverse psychology. You have the groups already done. And I like to use this type of card sort to prove points, to prove how existing navigations may be wrong, how existing informations may be wrong. So what you do, you give the cards, you give the predefined groups, you leave nothing to people's creativity, and you have them drag the terms into the groups. Based on this, this is called evaluative, so you do an evaluation. And generally, it is my experience that unless a taxonomist has worked, or a good IA has worked on this type of structures, you're gonna have a bunch of cards left on the left group because people don't know where to put them. Those groups don't make sense to them. And then the really interesting method, which I use a lot with clients, is a hybrid card sorting, where you have some groups predefined and some groups that are undefined. So users can decide to use existing groups or create their own. And this becomes particularly helpful when you may have a really 
enlightened client that says, yes, do this, but that word there, that label there, asset management is really important for me. And this way you can demonstrate and evaluate if it works or it doesn't work. So you end up with situations like this, stuff that goes in one group and then other mate groups. But we said we would go beyond. Why should we go beyond? We go beyond because of people. Because the world isn't so neatly organized and this type of testing only gives us an insight in abstraction in an environment where there aren't other distractions. So we want to make sure to be able to test our information structures and our information systems in the context. We like to think of taxonomies as conversations that happen in context and that's why we look at other types of testing. Right. So Alberta pointed out that there are evaluation techniques. So it's the search logs, the keyword stuff, the subject matters. That is what you're doing when you're trying to make sure that the taxonomy structure is where it needs to be, right? Card sorting is a way of informing that because you're understanding people's mental models and why they group things the way they do and the labels that they choose. In our first step of going beyond card sorting, we're gonna talk about a card sorting technique that I think is so awesome that I'm gonna bang you over the head with this and tell you you have to be doing this. This is Delphi method card sorting. Every IA I've ever worked with, and I've said, brought this up, I said, let's do this, and they're like, what on earth is that? And at the end of it, that IA is out there telling other IAs, we have to be doing this. This is so awesome. Alberta pointed out that with card sorting, each participant is building something, right? They're starting from scratch with an open card sort. They're also starting from some categories, from closed and hybrid card sorts. Delphi is a little bit different. You go participant to participant, round robin. So the first person comes in, works on the deck, is done. You take a picture of it, bring in participant number two. She works on it, talks about it, take a picture of it. Three comes in and works on it. And I love this method. Seriously, try it. You'll be in love with it too. But the great thing about it is it focuses the work sessions. There's less rework because each person coming in has the structure that they're working with that's already been tweaked and you can bring up those changes and have that person comment on them. And those comments are just so crucial into you understanding the structure that you've built, where it's working for some people and where it's not working for others. There's a case study we'll walk through and we can see a little bit of how this was used in making some decisions for a product catalog. But it's focus sessions and two, lower costs. One day, eight to 10 people, once you run this, you have at the end of the day a vetted taxonomy that's ready for production. Trust me, all right. <laughs> Delphi method card sorting was introduced by Professor Catherine Summers and Celeste Lynn Paul. Celeste here. Celeste actually gave a talk here, the IA Summit, not here in Minneapolis, but the IA Summit in 2007, introducing this method. And it's a tweak of card sorting where you lay the hierarchy out in cards, on index cards. You have eight to 10 participants come in and you have them work on the deck until it stabilizes. And by stabilize, I mean by halfway through, you're gonna notice that people are moving the same things. They're commenting on the same problem areas. That's great. You should have anticipated these if you did your evaluation, right? You should know users just don't talk about these things for this category, that category. How do we get beyond that? you're gonna notice that they're gonna struggle. And they're also gonna come up with stuff that you didn't think of, and they're also gonna have a logic for moving things around that you're like, oh, that's really interesting. And also the labels that are problematic, you're also gonna notice that about halfway through, you've kind of gone through the majority of those and you found them. So by the end of the day, you feel really comfortable that 
what you found is very informative and you can move forward without having to sit down and analyze notes or analyze recordings and then because each you know participant produced a different artifact for you. They can add, delete, move, and relabel. The important thing here is that nothing leaves the table. When you delete, you flip a card over. When you move it, you flip it, you write the new one, and you put it in its new place. That way, when the person comes behind, you can say, yeah, well, the person in front of you, she flipped over kids because she didn't believe kids belonged in this category. It needed to be in its own top level category. What do you think about that? And then you start having these conversations where they can basically say, that's a good idea, that's not a good idea. This method, by the way, is developed, I believe, in the 60s. It's a RAND Corporation. It's an expert analysis decision-making tool. So the important thing is that people get to comment on other decisions that have been made, right? <clears throat> and that's where you're really learning the, the way that this does or doesn't fit into people's mental models when it comes to the categories and the labels. And then you just interview. I just put my iPhone kind of pointed at the table for a recording in case I need to go back. But usually at the end of the day, my notes are enough and the photographs I've taken are enough to tell me what to do with the, the taxonomy when I get back to my office. So how to do this? Pretty straightforward. Decide whether to seed the deck or not. If you've done an evaluation or you have someone that's crafted a taxonomy, you've already got the seed. I recommend you use that because there's a lot of knowledge that went into evaluating it. Also, there's a danger if you do have the first person of the day build a deck for you, if that person isn't your typical user, you know you've recruited these people. Oh, and by the way, I've used this internally. It just doesn't have to be like external clients. You can do internal as well. That person will set the tone for everybody. And you know sometimes in a study, there's just one person that just thinks differently than everybody else and does things differently. So there's a danger there, but you can always just scrap it and then with, you know, participant number two start all over again. But I recommend if you've done evaluation and done your homework, see the deck yourself. Put the categories on the cards. Do an initial interview just to find out a little bit about their backgrounds so to help you understand their mental model and why they're making their decisions. It also gets them ready. You know, talk to them if it's a branded experience or an experience that you can talk about a company or something like that, it kind of eases them into the conversation, right? And the case study we're gonna look at is clothing for women, and it kind of sets the tone for the conversation. They know how to interpret these cards, which are pretty abstract. Let them go to town. Just in your notes, make sure you note that they're hitting all the categories. You wanna make sure that you get them to look at everything. Interview for each description. And I skipped the explaining it. Most people get this, but some people you might have to kind of help them and do the cards while they think. But that's good. It builds a rapport. You kind of get this flow going where you're flipping the cards or helping them write them out, and they're deep in thought, right? And just repeat this until you're happy. Eight to 10 should do it. I've done ones with really large product catalogs, and we go to 15 because there's a fatigue that sets in with folks after a while, and they're like, they can't really think anymore. Right, so you wanna make sure that you cover your bases in the taxonomy. And then finally, you can analyze the data. I generally, I've got a picture at the end of the day. I know what things people have been going back and forth about. I'm ready to go. So, love this method, I think it's awesome. Usability studies. So now we're gonna step away from taxonomy. Card sorting informs the taxonomy, which you have terms that you've organized that can control content tagging, dynamic content production, navigation, search results, et cetera. Usability is kind of flipping this idea on its head. And this is where it gets tricky because you have to remember taxonomy isn't exactly IA as a practice. So some of the things that we're interested in kind of, if we continue to talk and think about taxonomy, it gets a little tricky when you're looking at a UI, right? Because a person's interacting with an artifact, they're not exactly interacting with the taxonomy, right? So just keep in mind that 
when you do usability studies, it's an implementation in the UI of a taxonomy. And you want to make sure that your taxonomy is effectively supporting the user experience and vice versa, right? That the UI is leveraging everything that you put into the taxonomy. You can piggyback on an existing study or create your own. Piggybacking is wonderful. Somebody else is running a study. You just have to say, hey, can you do me a favor and put in some tasks that are basic wayfinding? Just tell them your goal and what question you're trying to answer and then give them some samples. They'll love you for this. If you give them some samples, and here's a tip, keep those tasks really, really simple and try to make them to where they're going to be kind of step by step so you can kind of follow somebody. That will give you the granularity you need to kind of look at those labels and categories in context. Go to the sessions, ask some follow-ups if you need to to get some more information about how people understood things as they were doing them, and then tell the moderator or the person that ran the study, oh, by the way, I will write up a summary for the taxonomy tasks. You have to do it anyway, and then you're doing that person a favor who did you a big favor. So piggybacking on existing studies, super easy. You probably already do this anyway because clients are concerned about people finding things. If you're going to create your own, you need an interactive UI. I typically will do like a clickable PDF that represents the navigation at various stages, and that's the manifestation of the taxonomy. Here's my tip for this portion. No lorem ipsum. Like, that's our tool. It confuses the hell out of people. It's not even our tool. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> I had one test in which I was participating. I was assisting, actually. I wasn't participating, where there was lorem ipsum. It was a beautiful thing. And this woman looked really distressed. It wasn't even a taxonomy test. It was a usability test. And at some point, the interviewer asked her, well, why are you so distressed? And she's like, you should have told me it was in a foreign language. I would have prepared better. Right. And then that's the way when we see lorem ipsum, that's very off-putting. But also, if we're testing terms and we're testing categorization, we need the context there. So go and find either boilerplate that is brand approved, make up something. White space is better than lorem ipsum just simply because the absence at least isn't influencing what they're trying to cognitively do, which is understand these ways that they can move through the UI. So Dave has talked about testing in person. And as we all know, testing in person doesn't allow you to reach big samples. And it's time consuming. It is costly. And you may not have the resources. You may need to reach a global audience and not have the possibility to travel to different places. So what can we do? We can do a lot, actually, turns out. I'm going to talk about some tests that I run with Optimal Workshop, not because this talk is sponsored by Optimal Workshop, but because I find their tools very helpful. And what I find most helpful is the clarity with which the analysis is displayed. I talked earlier about how doing analysis is an expert activity that requires time and concentration. And Optimal Workshop actually solves a lot of these issues for me. So I don't know how many of you have been dragged into that fad that was click path studies. I'm not a big fan. I mean, they have their place. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a big fan because I find that the information that they give me is limited to the what but doesn't explain the why. So if you've never done one, when you do a click path study, you know, you gather your information for benchmarking, you figure out the paths you want to test. 
you look for the places where users drop and which turns they take, and then you try to correct and analyze the results. Except on a click path study, you can see that the user has clicked services rather than purchases, but there is nothing that tells you why that happened, because these are remote tests. You're not there to ask the questions. So I find them more useful as part of trijack testing. Trijack testing is essentially a reverse card sort. You present the users with a structure, a navigation structure, or an organizational structure if you're not at that point in your work. You show them subcategories, you assign discrete tasks, and then you ask them to perform. You ask them to find specific information as it pertains to a certain things. It would look something like this. So this is an actual trijack study that I've done, and it looks a bit like this. You know, you're welcome. You can change the wording however you want. You collect emails from participants. There are brief instructions. This is a test. This is how you do it. And then you are set tasks. And it's asking you, find a certain thing. If you needed to contact the store in advance of visiting, where would you find that information? And so I'm simulating here how someone could go take a different turn. Second task is someone who needs to organize an office party, and they need to find out if these stores provides catering. So they're looking around, the person is looking around, and it's like, oh yeah, that's catering. I'll find it here. And then this person has allergy concerns. Who doesn't these days, right? So they want to know if the bakery does this. Thank you very much, the test is done. Now, if I were to do these kind of things on a prototype and recording myself the answers, then I would have to somehow find a way of interpreting the answers. Optimal Workshop does it for me. This is a task analysis for every task. I can see immediately how long it took, if success was direct or indirect, meaning if people got to where they were supposed to go straight away, or if they took wrong turns. And you can drill down as much as you want. This question had two correct destinations that I decided were correct. Those were my targets. Three people went there to either directly. One person took a turn, came back, but nobody failed. So for me, this works fairly well. Now, if you'll notice, there is a little button right there that you can probably cannot read, says visualize pie tree. It's a beautiful word. What does it mean? It's a click path. Here, it's showing me very clearly that someone clicked on services. So now, I know a bit more, and I know what they were looking for. I know that they went to services. And I may want to rethink that services label and turn it into something else. The first click is somewhat of a controversial metric. Some people want to know what is the thing that calls the most attention associated with that concept. So this tool measure first clicks. I personally don't find very helpful. And then it also lets you see what the participants' paths are if you want to see it breadcrumb style. I find this visualization particularly interesting because it helps me think of what is actually gonna go on the finished product. And then here, you know, a matrix, because we all like a good chart, and since we're not using Excel, 
optimal workshop gives you one. I see all green, so I'm relatively sure that my structure is usable. If I were to see red, I would want to investigate a bit further. We talked about going beyond card sorting, but card sorting really is important. So I want to show you what a mixed card sort would look like. Same thing, welcome screen. You can give an option. What I find is that people that participate in card sorts, especially really large one, want to know the results. They want to know how everybody else did. This way you can automatically send results. So this is a mixed card sort that we used last year for a taxonomy workshop at IA Summit. Jessica Duverney, one of the co-chairs and I. And it was a huge card sort, 100 cards. This is what it would work. People could drop into a new group or put in existing groups. We'll see the renaming in a second. So the beautiful thing is this happens. The beautiful thing about doing a card sort with Optimal Workshop is that if you still want to do some old-fashioned analysis because you have certain questions that you want to ask to the participants while they're doing these kind of things, this tool allows you to download a set of the same cards, print them out, do an old-fashioned in-person paper card sort. If you flip them, it's not a Delphi card sort, but if you flip them, there is a barcode that you can scan into the system and so you can compound in-person observation with online, and it does the analysis on the whole pool. I find that really, really interesting. So this was you know, part of the card sort. What I do get back is a detailed analysis. Now, this is the best part for me. This screen, which is called overview, should be called test the test. It's telling me how long it took on average for people to complete the test, how many people have dropped out. When we do testing with real humans, you want to make sure that you want to check these metrics as you go. You want to make sure that the fatigue that Dave was talking about doesn't set in. Because when you're in person, you can, especially with online studies, in person you can say, do you want a glass of water? You can make a pause. When you lose people online, they tend to be lost. I have one case on this study where someone took two and a half hours, and I'm sure that they went for coffee, went to the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the information I get back, which is what interests me, is categories. So it tells me the groups that people have created. What I really like is that I can standardize categories. So a lot of people will use different spellings or alternate spellings of the same word. They will use the same category, slightly different. I can aggregate them and get a good sense. It gives me dendrograms, which are my favorite things. And I know I'm a nerd. What are you going to do? They're my favorite things because they work both for big and small samples. They show me how people match things. This one is the actual agreement method. It shows me exactly what people think should go together, and then there is a predictive one. And then groups are words together. It tells me pairings, numbers. You know, It gives me all the numbers I can want. The really interesting thing that this tool does, which is also very dangerous, is that it gives me what is called predictive analysis. So these are possible IAs. They're probably gonna look a lot like the final IA you're gonna come up with, 
but they're not it. And the temptation to use it and consider this the finished product is big. Oh my God, my work is done for me. 200 people who took the test did this for me. The thing is that the system is just as good as the information we put in. Garbage in, garbage out. And also, this is generated by a machine on words that we fed. There is nothing that replaces our own analysis capability, our own knowledge of our users, our own knowledge of our context. These are the tools that you can use. There's a million out there. If you need to see quickly check navigation, you can use Optimal Workshop as another tool. A five second test doesn't cost you a dime is a great thing to do, but nothing really replaces, as Dave is gonna show in his case study, human interaction and the okay. human touch. And we'll go through this quickly because we wanted to do some Q&A. So Delphi and Anthropology. So those of you that know the Anthropology brand, it is unique and it prides itself on being different. If you've ever been to the store, it feels a little bit like an antique market, a little bit like a shopping experience, a little bit like someone's attic. The urban brand takes pride in making sure that that uniqueness finds its way onto the online experiences too, but the team in anthropology was a little bit worried that they might be getting in people's way. They used a lot of colorful language or kind of brand specific language and they were using a lot of industry specific language. The solution was we did a huge evaluation project where we came up with an updated taxonomy and we wanted to vet it to make sure it made sense from their customer's perspective. In typical anthropology, they put an anthropology spin on the test. This is the environment. It actually is an attic of the flagship store in Philadelphia. And they put the honorariums and gift boxes with chocolates, and we didn't have donuts. We had petty forts. It was just crazy, right? But the great thing about this is think about when you're doing a study, how are you priming that person to talk about what it is they're going to talk about? These were all anthropology shoppers. These women were ecstatic to be in the attic of the flagship store that they shop in. They get these nice little treats, and it's all, they had fresh flowers in the room. It was very anthropology. Now, what we wanted to do was make sure that the terms and the organization fit the women's mental model, and we really wanted to find out how far can we push them with language, and we basically found out not very far. They were very forgiving. They're very forgiving because they're fans of anthropology. As we had them go through the cards, and they looked at some like layouts, these kind of like a basic navigation blowout of one of the categories, I had the camera running, we just kind of talked to them, and then I took a picture of the table after each person was done. And at the end of the day, we knew, we had discovered, there were some things that they had problems with that they kept moving. There were labels that they gave us feedback on, such as new and now was at the very top. And the women were like, well, they could be new arrivals, either to the store or to the online store, but now makes me think trending. I expect to see editorial in there. There's no editorial in there. So people are like, all right, let's just call it new arrivals. Well, another thing that was huge was do women know industry terms for fabrics, like woven and knits. Anthropology is very proud of the fact that they care about clothes a lot. They want their women to care a lot. But those women don't know what wovens and knits are. A lot of them thought wovens were sweaters, chunky sweaters. This is a woven, by the way. This is a knit. <laughs> so, and then the women, when totally they were... Totally planned it. Yeah, right. So, but the women, in thinking through things, kept using words like, well, is it a button-up for the office, or is it like this casual thing I'm wearing to the gym, is it a tee? So we kept hearing those words, that's what you see now, because that's the way they shop. No one shops for knits and wovens, unless they're a merchandiser. Right? This case study kind of points out that what we were doing is just kind of getting into the mind of the person, we were able to use that to tighten up the taxonomy. So, what works? You know, as Dave was saying, Knowing your users, like in the anthropology case study, recruitment was done 
wisely. You want users that understand the domain you're moving into, or you want them to be new to that, in which case you're testing something else. Yeah, and this is particularly important for Delphi because these people are going one after the other. So if they're like a wide range of ability, so in other words, if you're doing a healthcare website, you don't have doctors and patients working on the same thing because doctors say things like physician and carcinoma and oncology, they don't say doctor, cancer. This should be another talk, really, because totally. we enter the domain of control vocabularies and synonyms, et cetera, et cetera. The point that we're trying to make is that you want to make the information findable to anybody as much. And Paul Risson is actually going to talk about the web for everyone tomorrow. But regardless of the way people go at it, regardless of whether they're browsers or searchers, if they use proper terminology, the industry terminology, they should be able to get what they came for. Mm -hmm. Multiple methods. If you can, do a card sort with a small sample and then launch something online to get hundreds of responses for patterns. Way to go. That's awesome. That works really well together. And we've already talked about the card sorting is great for understanding the reception of terms, whereas usability studies are good for how are people using the actual UI, the implementation. And then this last one's huge. Focus on the problem areas. Taxonomy is kind of hard anyway. If you try to do too much, you're going to overwhelm the participant and yourself. You're not going to be able to really focus on what you learn. Like, we really learn this. So do small and do iterative. So this is what works. There are mistakes that we make. Hopefully, we keep making new ones. But there are mistakes that we can make when we set up tests despite our best intention. So testing design and information architecture at the same time is a tricky one. It may have to happen if you have to jump on a project, but it really isn't ideal. It's a lot better to focus, as Dave was saying, on one thing at a time. Similarly, testing too late, and that's the case, especially if you work in agency, where the pixels are sold before one even begins to understand what the problem is, and then you retrofit the UX, and then you retrofit the testing, it's a mess, and it rarely ever works. You're just putting band-aids. Designing really large tests, this is something that I've learned personally, is not a good thing because it doesn't really allow you to get down to the level of granularity that allows you to create structures that are really sound. Mm -hmm. And confusing taxonomy and navigation is a common one that we've all made when we started out. The two things are very different. Navigation is an output of taxonomy, is supported by taxonomy, but there is so much more to uh, taxonomy than there is to a navigation that's an easy mistake to make and should be avoided. And then, you know, the capital sin, not <laughs> testing at all. So in conclusion, here's a test for you, testing us. Time is up. So. We'll, uh, we'll put this up on SlideShare, and you can tweet questions if you have, and then we're going to move. Or find us. Or find it's us. We're going to be here all for the summit. Thanks a lot for coming. We Thank really you. appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast from the 2015 IA Summit, subscribe and check out the full collection at library.iasummit.org and on iTunes. The 2015 IA Summit podcasts are brought to you by the UIE All You Can Learn Library. The All You Can Learn Library will give you the skills and techniques you need for a competitive design advantage with 24-7 access to experts and UX topics. For more information, visit aycl.uie.com. That's aycl.uie.com. As always, thanks for listening.